Well, this is a first for me. I am using a computer tonight for the, not, I've used a computer before. <laughs> but for speaking purposes, I am using it for the first time. And did you know that little green button, Amy just taught me this, that little green button on the top left makes it bigger, which is perfect. So even with my glasses, now I can see it's awesome. So, yay. Well, good evening. Thank you for being here. And uh, let's, let's go to the Lord. Lord God, it is always good to be with you. Thank you for these women who are here tonight and those who will be watching online. May your words tonight bring a deeper understanding of who you are and your extravagant love for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is good to be together again. I hope you are enjoying this study. I don't know about you, but as I have worked through these sessions, God has revealed some deep truths that I don't think I really ever absorbed before. I hadn't really allowed them to sink in. <clears throat> Um, a few weeks ago, we heard from Camille that God's grace is not something we earn. It, there's no amount of striving that will ever earn us favor in God's eyes. In fact, there is nothing that we can do to earn it. Why? Because Jesus has already done the work of grace on the cross. And last week, Shireen shared that Christ has already paid the price for our redemption. We can trust in his ultimate act of love and rest in the fact that his payment for our sin is enough. We don't need to prove ourselves to attain his favor because he has already completed the work. It is finished. And aren't we so grateful? Well, that brings us to session three and the discussion of shame and grace. Specifically, the fact that we have all experienced shame. But God's grace covers all of it. So to begin with, we're going to talk about shame. Nothing like easing into a tough topic. Well, what is shame? Shame is an unpleasant, self-conscious emotion often associated with negative self-evaluation. A motivation to quit, or worse, not even start, Feelings of pain, distrust, powerlessness, worthlessness, and fear of exposure. Shame affects our view of ourselves, our relationships with others, and ultimately, our perception of God. Shame is like that mire, that thick, swampy soil, and once you're stuck in it, it's really hard to move on. So I'm going to ask you to be a little vulnerable. If you have ever experienced any of these feelings because of your own sin or the sin of someone else, would you raise your hand? Oh, wow. Thank you. Thank you for being vulnerable. It is difficult, at least it was for me, to name our shame. Why? 
Why is it so difficult for us to do that? Maybe there's a fear that it will change others' opinions of us. Maybe there's a fear of being judged or humiliated, or perhaps even the loss of friendship or fellowship. Shame tells us you are disqualified. You are no longer worthy. So more often than not, what do we do? Well, rather than talking about it to a trusted friend or even going to God, we keep it hidden and we bury it. And the tricky thing is, whatever it is that has created our shame, it's already a part of us, part of our unique story and experience. So I'm going to share with you a story about God. I struggled for many with shame for many years for all the reasons that have been stated. And it affected some pretty important areas of my life. Shame came from a decision I made when I was 19. You see, at 19, I found myself in an unhealthy relationship and pregnant. Though I was a Christian, I was not living as a Christian, and I was scared. I felt alone. I felt embarrassed, so I didn't tell anyone. I knew my parents would be utterly disappointed in me. And so, being fearful of their rejection, I made the decision to have an abortion. And little did I know at the time how that decision would play out over the years. Now, I realize that the timing of this message, in light of current events, is somewhat ironic. But let me assure you, that is not part of this message. What is pertinent here is that the, that decision caused me to feel shame for many years. You see, I had always been a really good girl. I was an easy teenager to raise. I followed all the rules until I didn't. Have you ever been there when everything was going smoothly and really great until it wasn't? I think we've all been there at one time or another, but for me... By the grace of God, God in his unfailing love heard my cries and rescued me, and he set my feet on solid ground. I married a wonderful guy. I had two healthy, beautiful children, and I raised a family. Fast forward many years, and while in seminary, I was blessed to be a part of a small group of trusted believers. They came, the time came for us to write and share our life stories, and boy, was I scared, because we had to include everything. No stone left unturned. But as I was preparing and reflecting on my story, and a time for me that had a lot of shame associated with it, the Lord began to reveal some very important truths. Number one, shame is not from God. Number two, sin is just a part of our story. God doesn't use it to define us. Number three, Jesus' death 
on the cross covers our sin and our shame. It covers it. And number four, God is faithful. The fact is simple. We have all experienced shame, but God's grace covers all of it in every imaginable way. So we're going to talk about each of these points in a little more depth. First, let's talk about shame. Shame is not from God. Shame is from the enemy. Shame is a weapon used by the enemy to distract us from God and from the grace that he offers and to keep us from sharing the truth of the gospel, which is God's beautiful, beautiful story of redemption and grace that is ours through Jesus Christ. The enemy wants us to hold on to our shame in order that we will become unworthy and ineffective for God's kingdom. The truth is, we were never created for shame. Genesis 2.25 says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Enter the serpent, the enemy. In chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent planted doubt in Eve's mind, and sin entered the world. Then in verse 7, they realized they were naked and covered themselves. And then in verse 10, God called out to them and they hid because they were afraid. The enemy knows our weaknesses and he will exploit them every chance he gets. Adam and Eve went from feeling no shame to being afraid. Friends, we were not created to carry shame. However, we were created for an intimate relationship with God. And God waits with open arms for us to run to him with anything and everything we got. Because you know what? We can trust him. He can handle it. Well, what about sin? Brings us to number two. Sin is just a part of our story. God doesn't use it to define us. And if he doesn't, then why do we? Yes, we are all guilty. Sin is difficult and it is painful and can bring immense shame. But it doesn't define me and it doesn't define you either. What does define us as believers is our identity as daughters of the king. So let's look at a few familiar sinners who God used in very profound ways. Moses. He didn't remain stuck in shame for murdering an Egyptian and being slow of speech, although he did try very hard to argue his way out of leading the people of Israel. But God wouldn't have it. And Moses ultimately obeyed God, and God was faithful to Moses in his plan to rescue Israel. And then there's David our beloved David, he repented of his sin, sought God's forgiveness for adultery and murder, and continued to seek God's face, praising God and serving as Israel's greatest king for 40 years. And then, of course, there's Paul, a Jewish leader, highly schooled in the law. His name was originally Saul, 
and he was known for persecuting Christians and ordering their executions. But after a life-changing encounter with Jesus, Paul, he didn't hide in a hovel because of his sin. Rather, he obeyed God and committed the rest of his life to spreading the gospel, eventually writing 13 of the 27 New Testament books. Y'all, our stories of shame are all unique. Mine may not be like yours, but no matter what your story is, God redeems it. He grows you through it, and he uses it to bless you and others, if you let him. Living in and with shame is the opposite, the very opposite of what God desires for you. But relinquishing your story, giving it back to God, and allowing him to use it and you for his glory is a true mark of deep faith and trust in God. God makes beautiful things out of ashes. And that, my friends, is grace. Which leads us to number three. Jesus' death on the cross covers all our sin and our shame. Ruth Chow Simons calls grace the antidote to shame. And as we have studied, grace is the generous, unmerited favor of God that comes only through Jesus Christ. It is a gift not of works so that no one should boast. It is a free gift for us, but was bought at a high price, paid by Jesus through his death on the cross. Believers are taught this truth, but do we truly and accurately live it out in daily life? Have you ever thought about what, what we convey to others when we continue to live in our shame? If we don't accept and live out God's free but costly gift of grace, we are in essence saying that Jesus' death isn't enough. It missed the mark. But we know nothing could be further from the truth. Why do we continue to live in it if God doesn't expect us to? He has something so much better for us. Jesus went to great lengths for our salvation. He paid the ultimate price and obliterated sin and shame. All of it. That fact doesn't give me or you the license to sin. It gives us the best reason not to. Colossians 1:15 through 22 says, "The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. That's us. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Okay, listen up. This next part is important. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy and blameless in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I will repeat that. Free from accusation. Here is an important truth. God has loved you from eternity past. That's a long time. And he loves you so much that he has provided a way through his son for you to dwell with him in eternity future. God pursues you. He didn't pursue you for a while and then stop. He relentlessly pursues you. There is nothing you could ever do to change God's mind about you. Let that sink in. God has loved you from eternity past. He has provided a way through his son for you to dwell with him in eternity. He pursues you. There is nothing you can ever do to change how he feels about you. Paul says in Romans 8, 38, 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Amen. So, last week as I was praying and processing through this lesson, I was reminded of a recent Caterpillar project we did with our granddaughter. How many of you have done the Caterpillar project? Oh, good, only a few. You'll love my story. Okay. Um, So I'll explain it to you. Um, There's this cylindrical net, and you can see through it, and it has a zippered top to keep the caterpillars from crawling out and give them a place to hang their little cocoons. So we put branches and leaves and water and four caterpillars in the bottom. And um, I will tell you, it was like watching water boil. (laughs) It seemed to take forever because we were so excited and every morning we would get up and we'd go, look, nothing. So I learned that caterpillars are nocturnal creatures. They do all of their activity and their work at night. So one morning, after about two weeks, we noticed a little cocoon hanging from the top. And a few days later, the others made their way up, and they were hanging there too, all of them just hanging there. And um, after about another week, we came out one morning, and there was a butterfly, like a butterfly, a real butterfly in this little net. And a few days later, the others appeared, and then they were ready to be set free. Caterpillars are created to be butterflies, but they're not born butterflies. 
They're born caterpillars. But they go through a necessary process of transformation. They crawl on the ground. They eat lots of leaves. They get fat. I think that they're supposed to do that. And they do that because it's what they know. And somewhere along the way, I don't think anybody exactly knows how, but they realize they have a purpose to fulfill. So they begin the arduous process of transformation. All right, have you ever wondered what that process looks like in the cocoon? Like, how do the wings form? And what happens to all their legs? They have lots of legs. Where do they go? I don't know. But how does this become this? Isn't that what God does for us too? He takes our broken selves and our messes, no offense to caterpillars, and turns them into his beautiful story of redemption. Which brings us to number four, God's faithfulness. God was, God is, God always will be faithful. The journey of the Christian faith is long and arduous. There will always be tension between human nature and who we are in Christ, but God never loses sight of us. He never gives up on us, never, ever forgets about us. Psalm 107 is full of instances where God's people rebelled, found themselves in tough spots. Then they cried out to God. He heard them, and he delivered them. It's what he does. We are a stubborn lot, aren't we? But I urge you in the words of David, seek the face of God always, for he is with you, he hears your cry, he will answer you, he will not abandon you in your distress. Psalm 107.6, Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. Psalm 107, 13, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Psalm 107, 19, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. Psalm 107, 28, they cried out to the Lord in, in their trouble, and he saved them in their distress. Timothy Keller says, the God of the Bible is a God of grace who is faithful to us even when we are unfaithful to him. When we cry out to the Lord in our trouble, he brings us out of our distress. And when we find ourselves in distress, we can follow in the steps of David, who says in 1 Chronicles 16, 11, look to the Lord and his strength, seek his face always. Psalm 28, 27, 8, my heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. Psalm 105, 4, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. So a few years ago, a young woman I know created this image of how she imagined God feels when we turn to him. Can you see that image there? Can you see God holding her face? Yeah. 
He takes our shame, our fears, our doubts, all of it, and comforts us with his perfect love. He makes it all right again. He's doing it now, and he will do it when he comes again. If we seek his face, he is quick to forgive. He waits with open arms for us to come to him with everything we've got. He can handle it. All right, I want you to hear this. If you remember nothing else from tonight, please remember this. There is nothing, nothing you could ever do to put yourself out of reach of God's love. Nothing. There is nothing you could ever do to put yourself out of reach of God's love. Don't misunderstand me. God takes sin very seriously. We all have consequences for our sin. But his grace is far greater than any of our sin or shame. He longs for us to spend time with him, to sit with him and share our heart so that he can pour out his grace again and again and again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us, for rescuing us, for pursuing us. Thank you for making a way for us through Jesus' perfect work on the cross. Would you increase our love for you and others through the grace found in your Son and our beautiful Savior? For it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right. That was a lot. So we're just going to take a few minutes to sit quietly with God. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Lean in. And just let his love wash over you. And I'll be back in a couple minutes. Father God, we love you. And we know that you love us. Help us to believe that. Help us in our unbelief, Lord. Lead us to forgiveness. Show us your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, we're going to turn to our tables now. The, the discussion questions are on the screen. Um, some of your discussion is going to be pretty personal, maybe. So let's honor one another by listening well and remembering that what is shared at your table stays at your table. All right, I'll be back in about 20 minutes. Hi, ladies. I'm sorry to interrupt. I love hearing all the discussion, and um, gosh, it's such a testament to God's goodness. Well, I want to say it again. We've all experienced shame, but God's grace covers it. My hope for you tonight 
is that if you are experiencing shame or holding on to shame from the past, that you would bring it to God. If the thought of that stirs up a little bit of fear, just remember he already knows it all. But because he loves you so much, he waits patiently. And if you would like to talk about it or process any of what you are experiencing with Amy or Sissy or I, please reach out to us. We would love to meet with you, to hear your story, and to pray with you. You know, it takes courage to bring our hearts before a trusted friend. But I am reminded of a quote from Franklin Roosevelt. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the assessment that something else is more important than the fear. And that something else is the gospel. God's grace through Jesus Christ. And ambassadors of, as ambassadors of God, we all get the opportunity to demonstrate his grace to this broken world. And it isn't always easy. We're all in great need of his grace. But by cultivating an awareness of his presence and yielding to his transforming work within us, we can accept his grace for ourselves and in turn offer it to others, all the while pointing them to our beautiful, extravagant Savior. You are dismissed. May God bless and go in peace.